Good evening, church. Brother Gary, um, I remember before one way came to second, I was part of an addiction ministry in Macon. And church, I seen how that church tolerated it but never embraced it. And then I knew there was another church up the road that was the same way. These two churches no longer have an addiction ministry. And I prayed to God. I said, God, can there be such a thing as a New Testament church that will embrace an addiction ministry? And God answered that prayer when he sent One Way to Second Baptist Church. We launched One Way December 19, 2014. We're about to celebrate our fifth anniversary. And in those four years and ten months, 292 souls have been saved through that ministry, having baptized 122 of them. Amen? Wow, wow. Not one person in four years and ten months has come to me and said, Chris Lones, I'll never come back because of something that was said to me or been not one. They all feel loved. That's what separates One Way at Second Baptist from any other ministry in our area or in any other area. It's the love that they feel here at this church. I also want to let you know that this is the benchmark for addiction ministries. We now have two new One Ways. One launched in Eastman a few months ago, and First Baptist Jonesboro, which is about the size of our church, launched one, and they, they hit 100 people last Friday night. People are getting saved there, and they came and visited for several weeks, and God placed it on their heart to start a one-way. So now there's three of them. Amen? Amen. God is good. God is good. Church, if you will, turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 15 and verse 16. God's word says, this, is, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. See, I, I firmly believe that no believer would have ever been able to reach Paul and lead Paul to Christ because he hated Christians and he persecuted them. Paul needed a Damascus Road experience. And having come out of a generational curse, Chris Loans needed a Damascus Road experience. And I'm here tonight to tell you about that. Before I get started, let's all bow our head and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And because who we are in Christ, we have strength in you to stand against the attacks of the enemy. Thank you for the promise that you will faithfully love us and never leave us. Give us discernment to recognize how the enemy is attacking. Help us put on the full armor of God, stand firm with confidence in your word, and prayerfully be victorious in each spiritual battle. Prepare us to walk in truth with our heads up, our eyes alert, and our hearts in tune to your voice. You have overcome, and your spirit is alive in us. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Someone with my past would typically, in churches all over our country, all over the area, would introduce themselves something like this. My name is Chris Loans, and I'm a recovering addict. I got an issue with that. First of all, it defies the Word of God, and it denies the power of God in one's life. John 8.32 says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. John 8.36 says, whom the Son sets free 
is free indeed. And then you look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Galatians 2, 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and saved me. And you may be here tonight saying, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how wicked my heart is. All you have to do is turn to Ezekiel 36, 26, and the, and the Bible says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put it within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And, and, I, will, I, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And we're not going to look there tonight, but Ezekiel 37, when you talk about the power of God, verses 1 through 14, talks about dry bones. If God can raise dry bones up, put flesh on them, breathe his spirit in him, I'm here to tell you tonight, and raise up an army, he can handle whatever stronghold that you may have here tonight. Amen? Amen. So this is my Damascus Road experience. And I'm going to place it up under the title that Jesus changes everything. I remember at the age of six living in Kentucky and my mother going to work and never came back. So I remember my daddy driving from Kentucky, bringing me back to Georgia and dropping me off. Everybody's been downtown making, you've seen them houses. They'd rent out rooms and people would live in different rooms all the way down the, the hallways. And I remember him walking me upstairs. And, I, and, my, and my memory's not, not that there's a lot of things I can't remember because of all the drug abuse. But I remember, like it was yesterday, my daddy bowing down because I was little. And he told me, son, I can't take care of you, and I'll never bother you again. And that's true. It's been 41 years since I've had any contact with a blood relative. 41 years. My grandmother used to tell me they're all messed up. Tennessee and Kentucky, they're all addicted. They're all drug addicts. And, but, but the home that, 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 that my dad dropped me off in, my grandmother and granddaddy were alcoholics. And my granddad would get drunk every Friday night after getting off work from the gas station. And he would come home, and my grandmother and my granddad would get in a fight. Church, I remember many times my grandmother laying in the floor, not moving, bleeding. I didn't know if she was dead or alive while my dad was, uh, granddad was passed out in the, in the recliner in the living room. There were times when he would throw us out at night. I remember sleeping on the back porches of other, other houses in that area, and my grandmother taking other people's clothes off the clothesline to cover me up in the winter. I remember going through boards of condemned houses and sleeping on the dirt floor to get us out of the elements because he wouldn't let us back in. And then the family and children's services got involved, and they removed me from the home, and I don't know why, but every 90 days they'd send me back. So they did this and the same thing, same thing. So they removed me, they sent me back. But a third time, I never went back, never heard or saw my grandmother again. So I was raised in six different foster homes, went to six different elementary schools, and in one of the homes, I was actually abused in that home that was paid for by the state. And all six of these homes, it wasn't that I hated men, I was scared to death of them. I didn't have a relationship with any of the fathers in any of the homes. I withdrew. All men were perverts, and they were animals. All they did was hurt people, and I couldn't, and, and, and all five foster homes, the first five, they were not saved. And so when I got, I thank God, when I was placed in the sixth foster home, that's the first time I'd ever had any experience being around a Christian family. Oh, my goodness. Y'all going to find this hard to believe, but back then I had hair way down past my shoulders, and it was curly. 
I brought a lot of baggage into that home, and I was only supposed to be there for two weeks. They drove me to Atlanta to show me a children's home, walked around in rooms with bars on them, and I'd already made up my mind, I'm running away. They're not going to send me to a children's home. I am not going to a children's home. And I remember the hickeys called and saying, we want to keep him. And that, that because God provided me with that, that allowed me to, to provide my three girls with grandparents, uncles, aunts, nephews, cousins. They treated me like I was their own, and only the power of God, the love of God in them could have done that. So I experimented for the first time at the age of 22. I smoked a joint around a bonfire uh, at a party. Had I known, church, that that was going to lead me down 23 years of drug addiction. I should have, I always in my mind, I don't want to be like my grandparents. I don't want to be like my family. I want to have a family. And the boy, it took me down. Listen, the first, two, first four years, first three years I was on it, I was stealing. I got fired from my job, so I knew I had to do something. I went and joined the Air Force at the age of 25 to get away. And boy, God had one of the biggest blessings, the biggest blessings in my life. That's where I met Sheila. We'll be married uh, 31 years in January. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so I brought Sheila back home, but guess what was waiting for me? My old friends. And I just picked back up where I left off. For 18 years, Sheila lived with, a, with, with someone that, that really his main choice was pot. And I smoked a lot of it. I smoked it when I got off. I smoked it after, after supper. I smoked it before I went to bed. And she, she, she was always there to make excuses for me. She went to church, and I went to church with her for a while. And, but she wouldn't open up to Christian friends. She wouldn't talk about it. And church, I, I ended up stopped going because I'd get convicted from the Word of God. But I knew to go to the altar and start living for God and give my life for God that I would have to get rid of what I had in my pocket, and I wasn't willing to do that. But I, will, but I, but I want to go back, because this is the key point. At the age of 11, in one of the foster homes, I was, I was, being, I was bothered by other 11 years old. I, I was the only one in that crowd that wasn't saved, and they talked me into going down to the altar, and I asked Jesus into my heart. Well, I was taught by the church, or at least I thought at the time, that all you had to do to be saved is believe. So all through my 23 years of addiction, when I ingested so much cocaine, I thought my heart was going to explode and hit the steering wheel, and our marriage was just in rambles. All Sheila and I did was fight. I was okay as long as she left my, my drugs alone, which was my God. But when she tried to interfere with that, it was a whole different issue. So I would often pray, God, just blow it up and take me home, and I'll wait to Sheila and my girls get there. I was deceived. I didn't understand at the time it's not a prayer that saves you. It's a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that saves you. But it all came to a head, y'all, when, I, when, I, when, I, when my drug of choice became meth. When I started shooting up, and when I started snorting meth, it changed everything. I lost a ton of weight. I became insanely jealous. Sheila had a job at Cops Communication, worked in HR and, tra and training and had classes. She'd come home, and I'd want to know how many men were in that class, Brother Gary. What did they look like? What was their average age? If she turned her head at a red light and looked at a man, why do you know him? Why are you staring at him for? Not only did she have to put up with all of that, but I was addicted to pornography and couldn't. How many times did my precious wife get out of bed because I'd been up for four days trying to pretend like I was asleep to walk into the living room and see me watching that junk? So finally, God told her, Sheila, you listen. You are in, you you you're you're enabling him. You got to go. You got to go. So in July of 2007. She took my three girls and moved out. Y'all, and, and, and this, this is how, this is, wow. I remember the day Sheila was moving, 
I got, got down on the floor and held on to her ankle and begged her, crying, tears. I remember her looking at me, church, and saying, Chris, grow up. I love you, but I don't trust you, and I have no respect for you, so therefore there can't be a relationship. And she left. Here's the thing, y'all. I would have taken a bullet for any one of my girls or her, that would, hands down. If it, I would stand in front of them, shoot me. But if I'd have known, if all I had to do was pull the drugs I had on me and flush them to get my three girls and wife back in the house, I wasn't willing to do that. I felt more normal high than I did straight. I didn't hit the bars. I didn't go to parties. I could get high and go to Walmart and felt normal. It's when I was out, it's when I had issues. So Sheila would allow me to come over and visit my daughter, uh, my three daughters, when I got off work at Bowen. So I messed up I was, church. So instead of, it was a 20-minute drive. So instead of going over there and spending an hour and then going back to an empty house and do all the drugs I wanted to do, which I did, I would get stoned in the parking lot at Bowen and then drive over there and then try to convince her that I'd quit and bring my children home when she knew if my eyes were red, I'd been smoking the pot. If I was clenching my jaw, I was on the meth. And she couldn't stand the sight of me. She'd go in the bedroom and close the door while I spent an hour with my three daughters. I remember being in that house, and I remember, I remember having three lines laid up on a mirror here and two joints here and bowing my head and praying, Lord, I know I'll never stop using, but if somehow you can just, if you can just help me control it, do I have to use every day just, just to be able to manage it? In your precious name, I pray. And there went the lines, there went the joints like he heard that. I'd be in restaurants. Everybody's got to pray before they eat. I didn't want anybody in public to see me pray, so I'd often bow my head and do something I did. Amen. But you don't dare take a bite out of a hamburger without saying a blessing with my pocket full of dope. That's deception. That's deception. So, man, oh, my goodness. So for five months, we were, we were separated. And, and, and every Christian that knew my wife, and I don't blame them. I'd have been in line, too. And every single family member, God, God rest his soul, her, when her dad was alive, told her to divorce me. He, is all, he will never stop. Sheila, you've already separated, divorced him. Her dad sent the money to pay for the attorney. But Sheila had this relationship with God, y'all, I never understood. When I watched her with her quiet time, she would talk about how God talked to her through his word. And I'm like, I, I just didn't, I did not get that. So she prayed to God, God, what do I do? God said, you're not to divorce him then, God, you got to remove the bitterness because I can't stand to be in his sight. So slowly God did that. I'd show up, and we'd go for a walk, and we would do this. So in December of the same year, 2007, she moved my three daughters back into the house. This is how wicked I was. So I figured then I got her. I don't know how in the world she saved enough money to pay for the first month's rent and the utility. She only got what money I gave her. I controlled all of that. Her family, my family that moved her out, moved her back in. They told her not to go back. So her pride ain't going to let her, ain't going to allow her. I had her. So I started, I kept using. I never stopped. And then, oh, my goodness. So you can believe, you know, you can be here tonight and not believe in God. Or not, oh, you can't, or you may not believe that the Word of God is true. But you can't deny a personal testimony. And I, you know, there was Jesus all in the midst of February 22nd, 2008, and I didn't even realize it. This guy that I had bought drugs from for years, we had, we had a fail-proof system where, where no one would know, came up on my two, having been out, out drinking all night and weeked of alcohol, came up on my two and dropped a package in my tool tray. I was the team leader on the two with everybody behind me. So I grabbed it and I stuffed it in my pants, kept on working. 
Well, that day, my daughter Allison was supposed to play in a regional basketball game in Columbus, and I was supposed to meet Sheila, so you could throw a rock from Bowen and hit Central Fellowship. And I'd been, I'd been working, 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 needed to go, needed to go. Right before I clocked out, uh, the head of Bowen Security came up on the tour and said, you need to come with me. So I go with him. Of course, I denied everything. He asked to, be, he asked to search the vehicle. So we go out in the parking lot. And uh, it was raining that day when I came back from lunch. I parked in a different place. I forgot where I parked. I'm walking around. I can't find my car. He's throwing up his arms. What are you doing? I didn't even hide it, y'all. I didn't even hide it. It was in my console. I, I, get, I get in my car. I crank it up. He tells me to shut it off. I was nervous. He rolled down the, I rolled down the wind. He got in. He lifted it up, and there it was. So he got out, snatched my badge, and I said, oh, boy, I'm in trouble. I'm a tr phone's blowing up. Sheila's calling me, wanting to know where I'm at. Sheila, I'm in a management meeting. I'll be out in a few minutes. And then when I got into the room, the head of Bowen Security said, Chris, you, we have a government contract here, and we have found several hundred dollars worth of narcotics in your car. We've already called the drug enforcement officers. Your car's going to be impounded, and you're going you're going to prison. You're going to be charged with a felony. You need to call your wife. Two, two months after I'd moved back in. So I called Sheila, and I got about a third of the way through it Click. And I was in that room by myself, and I'm like, man, I just lost her. I just lost my three children. But y'all, for the first time, I was broken. I realized that I was lost as a ball in high weeds. And I got down on my knees, and I asked Jesus, I said, Jesus, I cannot do this on my own anymore. Would you please come into my life through your power and help me? I just make one request. I didn't have a right to make a request to him. I lived as if I dared him to do anything about my lifestyle. And I, but I said, if while I'm in jail, if you'll just keep my family together. And man, y'all, when I stood up, I felt different. I felt different. Then the drug enforcement officers arrived. And let's go for a walk. Well, like they always do, they didn't believe that that was all the drugs in my car. So one of the police officers started doing a strip search on my 2007 Dodge Charger. All four doors open, second shift's coming in now. I'd been there for 17 years, everybody knew me. Fingers in the fence, they're watching. Spare tire coming out. When the lead officer said, Chris, come with me, and we went and we separated ourselves from my manager and the head of Bowen Security and the other officer while he was searching. And I remember him shaking his head, Brother Gary, and he looked at me. He said, Chris, I'm a Christian. And boy, something's come over me, and my Heavenly Father told me that I'm not supposed to make this arrest today. If I get back to the station and they tell me I need to lock you up, I'll come back and lock you up. But I've got a word, but I'm going to obey my heavenly father first. Listen, y'all, the police may not like their job. The drug enforcement may not like their job. But when they got the car, they got the drug addict, and they got the drugs, you make the rest. And he said, he said you need to focus on your relationship with Jesus. I just asked him into my heart less than an hour ago, and you need to focus on your family. And I am, I don't know, some of y'all used to watch Candid Camera. Well, uh-uh, I, I am not fleeing the scene. Let, listen, let's just say I am tripping out. What is going on here? And I watched his partner come toward me. When he looked at me, he said, Chris, get to, turn around, face the car, put your hands on the car. And I watched him remove his handcuffs. I was doing what he said when his lead officer said we're not locking him up. I still see the vision of every one of those men's faces. I watched those two managers go back into the door at Bowen, and I watched those two drugging for I'm, Every time I got pulled over for speeding, I guess it's because I'm so ugly, I ain't got no neck. I don't know what it, but they always gave me a ticket, never a warning. I'm standing here having had several hundred dollars of drugs removed from my car, and I didn't even get a pink warning ticket, and I'm standing in the parking lot, and I watched that drug enforcement officer turn left on Avondale Mill Road and head toward the red light. You know what it did? 
I picked up my phone. I immediately dialed my wife. I didn't think she'd answer. She answered on the first ring. Maybe she thought it was my one phone call. And she said this, Chris, don't you say a word until I'm done. Brother Gary, for the first time in my life, I listened to what she said because I couldn't believe she answered. She said, Chris Longs, when I hung up on you, right then and there, I never wanted to have anything else to do with you. And I was angrier than I'd ever been in my life. Listen to this. And it wasn't you. It was at God. And my walk with him, the whole, the prayer time, the, the quiet time, uh, he was the only one that told me to take you back. And now you're being locked up. Our income is gone. Two months having moved back in. God, I trusted you. And she said, I was trying to control my anger with your little daughter, with our youngest daughter in the back seat and her friend. Y'all ought to hear her tell this. She said, Chris, I've had God speak to me many times through his word. But it's as if Jesus stepped out of heaven. There he is. And he sat in the passenger seat of my car, and this is what he said. Sheila, I got him. Leave him alone. Everything's going to be okay. And it was over and over and over. Brother Gary, she said she felt the peace of God come over her and the grip of the steering wheel lessen, and she just knew everything was going to be okay. And then I got to tell her my part. I'm not calling you from prison. I am standing in the middle of Bowen parking lot. They haven't arrested me. They told me I was a free man. So she said, Chris, I'm, I'm, I'm about an hour ahead of you. You need to come on to Columbus. Maybe you get there at halftime. So I'm driving, and I'm just contemplating in my mind, wow, no one other than Jesus himself could have calmed the heart of my wife. What was I going to do? Say I'm sorry? 18 years I'd said I was sorry. She didn't want to hear that. Jesus, I ain't never heard of Muhammad or Buddha ever telling anybody and doing something miraculous and them brag on either one of them. That's a good reason for that church of dead. Jesus stepped out of heaven, calmed my wife's heart in her car, sent a law enforcement officer that was in tune with his Holy Spirit and did the unthinkable. And I'm driving down the road a free man. And I get to the ball game and I call her church and it, it, she didn't tell me where she was at. She ran to the parking lot, wrapped arms around me like it was my birthday because she kept remembering what Jesus told her. Leave him alone. I got him. Everything's going to be okay. I get into the gym. Now, during this time, during Allison's year as a freshman, the point guard was a great basketball player, older than her. She got in foul trouble, couldn't play the second half. Allison got to play. None in the first half. I didn't miss one dribble of the basketball. Every great play that she made on that court, that game, she looked up in the stands to see if her daddy was looking. And I'd been watching her play ball ever since she was in upward, and I was the loudest one. I know you find that hard to believe. I was the loudest one in the gym, even when they listened to tapes. Listen to your daddy. Get the ball, Allison. Get the ball, Allison. And, and, and every time she looked at me, and I said, why do you add that to your testimony? Because we serve a God of details. Not only did he not even let them put the chains on me, the cuffs on me, and go to jail, but he made sure I didn't miss the most important game that my daughter's ever played in. I didn't miss one dribble of the basketball. So I get home four months. I was out of work, but I opened up the Word of God for the first time at age 45. I had called myself a Christian for 34 years. I couldn't have told you if Exodus was in the Old Testament or the New Testament then. My memory, I can't remember very little about raising my daughters, but God's given me the ability to memorize Scripture like nothing before because he don't call to equip, he equips to call. He had a purpose and a plan for me. And y'all, some of y'all out there wondering why ain't God showed up in your life. He's sovereign. He knows the results he's going to get if he does. Right? There's some, listen, there's some of y'all that Jesus could come down through the rooftop, show you the nails in his hand and feet, 
and next week you'll be doing the same old thing. You're not going to change. If he knows you're going to change, he'll move heaven and earth and do miracles in your life. So the first verse I ever memorized is Psalm 119, 165. It said, Great peace have they that love your law, and nothing will make them stumble. Oh, my goodness. So listen, listen. I said, Lord, all I have to do is keep my nose in your book, and I never have to worry about going back and being that. Eleven years, ten months removed, I still have got my nose stuck in God's book, and he has, he has, he has, he has made a, a miracle out of something that was despicable. And then I think about, I think about the verse in, um, in, in, in Joel 2.25 that says, He will replace the years that the swarming locusts have eaten away. I remember my youngest daughter, Brother Gary, going into the bathroom, getting ready for school, and her mama was getting ready for work, and she said, Mom, it's getting harder and harder to remember any sin that Dad's committed for what God has done in this life. Amen? And, 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 and so that, that, just, that just goes to, that just goes to what can God do in a life? He can do more in two days than what it took Satan 20 years, 23 years to destroy because he's God. And I tell people all the time at one way, the opposite of addiction is not recovery, it's connections. Who's in your inner circle? What are you listening to? If Jesus can't put that pot in his ear and pat his foot or if he, and listen to that same music, you need to change it. If he can't put his hand in a bowl of popcorn with what you're watching and enjoy it, you need to turn it. It has a big deal on what you're clicking on, what you're listening to, and who is in your inner circle. And I just thank God. I just thank God. Oh, and it's all my goodness. In closing, once, once, Sheila. Sheila used to tell me at one way, Chris, when you tell him you close and close, Four or five times you tell them you close. Come on. Psalm 68. Oh, my goodness. Five and six. It talks about being a father to the fatherless. Look at that. Father of the fathers and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Wow. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Listen to this. Brother Gary, most, and we've talked about this, great men of God, seminary degrees, fallen, affairs with the secretaries or embezzlement and all of that. Listen, I never lost my integrity and my respect and character due to drugs. Those things I never had. I remember stealing as young as I can, seven years old, eight years old. I did it all my life. I started, I never, I never, I never developed those characteristics. I never had a father in my life to taught me those kind of things. But then when I started reading the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the father to the fatherless, started raising a 45-year-old child that didn't have any of that. And look, <laughs> I am standing on, how many, one, two, three, I'm standing on the fourth step at Second Baptist Church in Warner Robins declaring God's glory and God's transformation in a life. A drug addict for 23 years. God has got me on staff here. I can't, oh my goodness, I'm sitting around the table of godly men that has me and so you know, it's, it's sort of like being a donkey in a Kentucky Derby. <laughs> but all of these men make me feel like I'm equal to them. They make me feel like one way it's the most important thing that Second Baptist Church is going on. How many times have I walked into Brother Gary's office needing something? He could have easily, 50% or more of those times, just say no, no, no. But man, listen, we have an executive pastor and a senior pastor that have a heart for Jesus, thus they're going to have a heart for one way and the broken. Amen? That, that, that is special. That is special. That is rare. So God, 
God took, there was never a position ever in, in, in Second Baptist historic history for director of community outreach. There ain't no way that I could, they could have posted that on the internet and I applied. What was I going to put on my resume? You know, I know about, I, there's so many, they got PhD degrees, they got masters. Listen, I got a PhD in grace. Amen. The only reason I'm here is because of grace. God's grace. Amen.